Good evening. Welcome to The Naked Pastor, the show that's all about you and your questions about faith, God, religion, and the Bible. Thank you for dialing in. This is a show where we're going to ask you to send in your questions. You can phone in if you've got a question, and um, we'll try and answer that question from a biblical worldview best as possible. If I ever you get such a good question that we don't have the answers because we don't know everything, we will make a show on that question in the coming weeks. In the coming weeks. Good evening, Leon. Leon is co-hosting tonight all the way from Rustenburg. And actually, I am seated right next to him. Leon, how are you? Hi, Vilko. What a pleasure to have you here. It's such a surprise, but we love having you here. Or I, I should say, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Lekker, man. Listen, Leon, so we are talking about how can we know the Bible is true? And the question I'm asking is, who says? Who says the Bible is true? Well, I think there are a couple of believers up to today who will be arguing in their lives they experience the Bible to be true because they don't just see it as a historical book in itself, but they see it uh, as something that's working in their lives. Are you talking about a historical book? So what you're saying is that there, there's some historical evidence to prove that the Bible is true. Definitely, definitely. Um, when we when we go look uh, through archaeological um, systems and stuff that's uh, in place for years, um, we can see that there have been diggings and and stuff uh, where 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 stuff has been digged up, and there are a couple of sites that confirm that what was said in the Bible actually happened. Yeah, such as, um, can you can you like give us, I mean, I know of the tunnel of Nehemiah that was, there's a story in the Bible where Nehemiah um, actually dug a tunnel and um, to get water into the city when Jerusalem, when Assyria besieged it. And yeah. that tunnel actually today exists in Israel and you can go and walk in that exact tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, when you look at uh, uh, the fact that s uh, the wood has been discovered um, uh, uh, that was uh, used on the ark, for instance, um, uh, they don't want to release all the evidence of it, but they actually found the original ark that Noah built. Um, which has, has been preserved in, in certain countries because they don't want the truth to come out uh, that these things really existed and that it, it, it had happened. Together with that, if you go look at Egypt, stuff that was discovered that was part of the um, Jewish people before they became the nation of Israel as such, um, all those pieces of evidence is there. 
All right. So what we're saying is um, there, there's evidence out there. And one of those categories of evidence is what they call manuscriptural evidence. Manuscripts. So it, it, it also plays into how do we know that history is true? How do we know that the Attila the Hun existed? How do we know that the Roman Empire existed? How do we know that Troy and his Trojan horse that's something that happened. It is it, we document history, and we weigh those evidence on how many manuscripts, how many copies of those manuscripts, how many partials of those manuscripts can we find, um, in a what period of time. So obviously, the more manuscripts, the more complete they are, and in the shorter the period that we find those manuscripts in, that gives more evidence to that said history. So. Let's say there is we find one manuscript of Tila the Hun, then it, and there's nothing else. It could be construed that there's not too much evidence pointing to it. However, if we find the history of a nation, we've we've got hundreds of copies of that manuscript in a very short period of time, and we take those people out because those that nation lived amongst other nations, and their history spoke about that nation we would know that that's true so in if in, in that case if we can look at the story of moses in the bible and from a biblical perspective a jewish perspective hebrew perspective that is their history they wrote it down but if you go look at the pyramids in israel and egypt you will find the the killing of babies engraved on their walls it's that's the Egyptian history talking about the same thing. So that gives a historical weight or manuscriptural evidence to the the Bible in a historical as a historical document. You you do you agree with me that? Yes, yes, yes. I I totally agree with you. Um, there's always overlaps between different nations um, uh, 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 going through certain stages and um, having another nation near to it and you can look at at history you can see nations fall and nations rise and nations fall and nations rise and one of the interesting facts about uh, the bible is that the story that is mostly told is the story of the of the hebrew people and when you go look through it you see the connection with how many nations, the Egyptians, mm. the Assyrians, the Persians, the, mm. um, uh, 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 the, the fact that they were um, going through the, what do you call it? Um, they were going through the desert. I can't get yeah. to the word right now. Um, those facts are in all these other nations' writings um, and how these people influenced them and how these people uh, helped each other so the overlaps are there and it's been written down through history okay. so what you're saying is that while these hebrew boikis were marching in the desert for 40 years there were other nations surrounding them that's what you say yeah 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 um and uh, because god told them that they were supposed to um, take care of those nations and uh, uh, <laughs> take care of those nations didn't mean sort them out. They, they had to shake their hands <laughs> they had to sort them out <laughs> otherwise they would be influenced by them and exactly what God said did, 
did in fact happen to them that they they um, were influenced and had trouble with these nations because they didn't want to sort them out. So what we're saying is that we're saying who says the Bible is true, we can derive that from the f simple fact that we find nations like the Egyptians, the Assyrians, uh, and all of those people that also coexisted with the Jews while the Jews were in the desert, those nations were existing, and we've got history from them. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. that gives evidence um, that though, that history is correct. Yeah, and, and that's only on history. That that doesn't just uh, that doesn't even pertain to some of the other stuff. I mean, think about this: when you look out at our judicial system in the world, the whole world, not just our judicial system, but if you go look at the Bible and the laws that were written in the Old Testament, even those laws are still pertaining to uh, our judicial system today. Why would it be there? Where did it come from? It didn't just fall from the air. So there has to be, and there was, a definite influence from the Bible side into um, judicial systems today as it stands. All right. So uh, we're talking about, yeah, about manuscriptual evidence. It leads a little bit into historical evidence, and then we've touched a tiny bit on archaeological evidence. Uh, talk to me about literally literary consistency. I mean, the Bible contains 66 books written over a period of 1,500 to 2,000 years by 40 different authors. Isn't that like just, you know, people writing a book and, I don't know, having a big, great collaboration, you know, and conspiracy, <laughs> you know, back down and over a period and just get this over 1,500 years. Remember, because they used to live so long. Um, what do we make of that? I mean, is, is that like a place to say, you know what, how can we prove literary consistency? Well, I, I just need to say it's not just 1,500 years. It's actually a span of roughly about 4,000 years. It's a span okay. of roughly 4,000 years from if, if we uh, uh, go into the uh, uh, lineage of Jesus, for instance, and you go right back to Adam and you had to uh, count all those uh, names and the years uh, in the lineage together, you get to uh, roughly about 4,000 years. So it's about 6,000 years because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. So it, it makes it even more significant. The fact that these books were written in 4,000 years by different people who, who were not even always literate people, because remember today we can type on a laptop and we can uh, 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 cross-reference stuff and go onto Google and try and see oh, if oh, we can yeah. find evidence of this and that. Um, yeah. These guys had to tell the story from one generation to the next generation, to the next generation, yeah. to the next generation, and keep this alive. What's interesting is to see how these... Uh, 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 what do you call them? Um, uh, traditions stories. that come okay. from and, and stories from the Jewish people are still kept until today. How they still manage to keep up those stories and still tell them. So there's something 
that's so significant about the Bible that <laughs> how many people do you know are still reading um, Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics today or reading from Assyrian writings and they are carrying that forward. But the Bible, when you look at the Bible, those teachings are still strong today. It's still being taught. It's still got influence on people's lives. And people want to call it just a historical account of the Jewish people. And that's all they want to do, uh, what do you, reduce it to. It's not just that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. much more than that. All right, so good evening to all our guests listening in. Guys, we want to welcome you, and I just want to state that you can take, you can call in. We would love to um, take some questions from you guys. And as, as I said earlier on, if we don't have the answer because we don't know everything, we will make a show and do a show completely on your question in the future. Or if you feel free just to type in a question. Um, you, we are really looking to engage with you guys. This is what it's all about. Uh, so please feel free. And we're talking about who says the Bible is true. And we've spoken a little bit about a couple of things. But let's just take this a step deeper. Leon, if you can do that for me. You've got a lot of background noise yes. at the moment. Um, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, so so we've got a lot of back. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, it's just a little bit of background noise. We just sort that out. Uh, that sounds a bit better. Thank you, mate. No, that sounds much okay. better. Thank you. All right. So... We're saying that who says the Bible is true? And we have got literary consistency. We're talking about 66 books. Uh, Leon, are there like any mistakes in there? <laughs> we spoke about this uh, a, a little bit. Um, I believe uh, one can make a, a mistake here and there because it's been inspired by God. And the fact of the matter is, it might just be a, a few mistakes concerning translation or um, carrying over or this person telling another person. But if you look at the whole book within the whole context, those little mistakes that somebody might, listen to my words, might have made is insignificant in the scope of this whole book that has been written. Because remember, we, we are telling each other, this isn't just a historical book. So if, if I'm going to tell you I'm 50, 51 years old, some people are going to say, no, you know what? When I look at Leon, he's like 35 years old because they don't know me and they are making an assumption. And I think sometimes the Word of God doesn't make a mistake, but people read it and then they make mistakes and then they want to want to carry that over to the Bible and say, yeah, but the Bible has made a mistake. It's not the Bible, it's us who are uh, in a place where we don't always understand the big story, the fact that God wants to save all of humankind, that God's story was written in, in the Bible as a big love story to tell us He loves us. But there's always also going to be a day, one day, when He will be returning and the, where He will be judging the living and the dead. So I don't want to go into the details of that, but the fact of the matter is, even if there yeah. are mistakes, yeah. if <laughs> those mistakes are minute in <laughs> relation to the big story of Jesus Christ and his, his saving grace and the fact that God um, yeah. works 
uh, uh, in this world. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is actually, uh, and we know that is a that is a, a, a it's evidential actually is the fact that there is more than one revelator. You see, you, if yeah. if I am the only revelator of a something of a experience of God, let's me put it that way, mm. uh, Eric. Um, so let's say uh, I, for instance, say I had an experience. Uh, God appeared to me and he told me to write this book, the Bible, and only I wrote the Bible. Then only I have the revelation. And only I can say what is right. And my word alone stands. And that's a bit bias, you see, because no. then there's no, there's no cross-reference here. However, the Bible has got 40 different writers over that span of time. And they all yeah. correlate. They all speak the main message, the same message. They're all working towards the same thing, saying, listen, there is mm -hmm. a God that created this place for us. Yeah. And he has made a way of salvation for us. And uh, he's coming back for us because he loves us. That's what we're saying. Mm. So mm. From, from that point of view, and it also that brings to mind, because we're talking about this writing of this in the manuscriptual evidence and archaeological evidence, the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, that was found in the 1960s, uh, they found some shepherd guy walks into a cave somewhere in the Middle East, and he finds this bag with little you know, uh, sheepskin all rolled up and whatever they made that of. And they basically the book of Isaiah is written on there. The Dead Sea Scrolls, it's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it is 99.9% the same as the ones that they've been using to write the Bible and translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, into English, and all the other languages that we can find the Bible in. Now I'm sure it's almost all the languages in the world. And those differences were, were basically on a he or a she and in the, in the uh, Hebrew language, that is not a difficult mistake to make. It's quite easy to make that mistake. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that the Bible was written by different people. It yeah. wasn't written just by one guy from his perspective. Um, even, even in the Gospels, when we talk about the, the four Gospels, yeah. um, it, it was written by four different guys. But the interesting thing is how they saw it differently and how they wrote it differently. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like a mom having four children and they've yeah. been to the same uh, a birthday party and every one of them tell about the party, but they tell a different part of the party that they experienced because this thing was interesting to him and he saw more of this than the other one. And that's kind of what, what happens with the Bible. Everybody sees something from their perspective. And let's remember, not all of them are always in the same space and time. That we have to remember. And remember, that's only when we're talking about the historical facts. So I keep on hammering and going back to the fact that it's not just about having the, the facts true in, in history, but having to understand that these facts were recorded to tell the big story. So when you're, you, but you're basically talking about the harmony of the Gospels. 
and how they are not exactly the same, even though they talk about the same story. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you're saying? So, and, and because yeah. there are differences, it actually adds to its credibility. Yeah, exactly. Because how can you, <laughs> if you heard a story from one guy, you are going to say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to li listen to this guy. But then you hear, but here comes another guy and he's, he's telling uh, about the same story. Maybe not exactly to the T, but you find, listen here, but there's a correlation between these two things. A third and a fourth guy comes and you say, wow, it's interesting that four guys experience it and now you hear it from different angles. And that makes you think even more. So, Leon, you, you, you briefly touched on um, translation. Um, just tell us a little bit about the how the Bible got translated. Oh, my soul. <laughs> That's actually a, a, a discussion by itself. That's a discussion by itself. Um, you see, the Bible was uh, uh, written originally in the language uh, where they were staying. So, um, the Hebrew language was written, the Old Testament was written in the Old Hebrew language. And then uh, they needed to translate it into our languages. Yeah. Um, and maybe you should tell the story about um, the guy who was killed at the stake because the, the the institution thought that it wasn't right for them to translate the Bible. But the funny thing was, it was originally written in Hebrew, so then they started translating that into Latin, and then when they wanted to translate it into English and other languages, that was a problem. Um, so, yeah, so let, yeah, people, let me tell you about <laughs> William Tyndale in 1494. This guy, I mean, he decides, you know what, the, the institution, all the clever guys, they all understand the Bible, but it's written in Latin. They've got it translated into Latin. And he decides, listen, I am going to translate the Bible into English. So after years and years of translating the Bible, obviously that doesn't take just five minutes. He, he didn't post it into Google Translate quickly and um, Google Translate translate. Mm. It's, this guy took years of his life to translate the Bible into English and from there obviously opened the doors for common people to understand the Bible and start translating it into a lot of different languages. And what does he get for it? He gets burnt at the stake. So why would someone kill a person for translating a fable? Why would they do that? Yeah. They won't. I mean, it's obvious. It's obviously because he took he, he he took the power away from the institution. I mean, they were just doing such horrific things because they read it in Latin. And they would tell people stuff, and you could have remissions of sins, and you could have a second or third wife, and you could have a girlfriend, and just pay a little bit more, and a couple of Hail Marys, and a couple of Our Fathers. And I'm not taking aim at any church right now when I say that. Um, and that, they, they killed him. They burned him at a stake. 
So I think, I mean, for me, that is like, that is really a tremendous, they wouldn't do that if it was just a lie. If the Bible wasn't true, they wouldn't do that. Obviously, there is some power and some deep, deep truth inside the Bible, and they didn't want people to know that. I mean, sorry if it sounds a little bit conspiracy theory, like a conspiracy theory. It's not my aim at that, but I want us to see it. I mean, even if you look at the, the disciples, I mean, these disciples, they walked with Jesus for, and they probably, some of them grew up with Jesus or at least had known him somewhere. You know, the world wasn't that big and it's a small little neighborhood. And they probably, you know, I don't know, maybe he was the guy that could play good soccer, or, you know, or throw a stone far or or maybe he was a complete klutz. You know, we don't know, but everybody would have probably, some people would have known about him. But at 30, he calls his disciples and they walk with him for three, three and a half years. And then yeah. Jesus gets crucified. He dies in the whole story. We all know that. And then these guys go about and they start telling the gospel of Jesus. They start telling the truth of Jesus. These disciples go out and they start telling people about he was born of a virgin. Now, I mean, guys, we are not stupid. No one is stupid. I mean, we know how these things work. So, I mean, come on. Now you, I mean, that must be embarrassing telling people, listen, this guy was born of a virgin. I think as pastors, we have that quite often. That, uh, hello, we're talking about a guy that was born from a virgin. Everybody's like, are you nuts? Yes, I believe in a guy that was born of a virgin. And then he did some miracles. He walked on water. That's another great one to sell. Uh, I mean, that just sells right there. Uh, come to my boat. We, we, the guy that walked on water got out of this boat. This boat right here, it, this will make you walk on water. Really? And then he raised people from the dead. He opened their eyes. He, he healed the cr cripple and the lame and, the, and those with leprosy. And he was like, he healed the six. Thanks, Eric. I mean, that just all of that right there is the story these guys go about. And then they say, no, 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 that's not all. We'll top it off for you, sir. We'll top it off. He gets crucified. He dies. And after three days, I'm now I'm being a bit sarcastic now, he gets raised from the dead. I mean, this is their story. This is what their message. They're walking around telling people face to face, this is their message. You know what they get for that? They get martyred. They get killed. And not in the easiest of ways. I mean, I think it, it, they would have taken a, sh a bullet to the head very, very easy. It would have been so little pain. But the, some of them got boiled. Some of them got flayed alive. They literally pulled their skins off their body. They got impaled, crucified upside down, um, beheaded. B uh, uh, um, uh, one was burned. Um, some were stoned, left for dead. Got up and walk away again. Thinking of Paul, um, other guy was marooned on an island alone. John, so would they? And he do was that? the only one that. Yeah, you saying? No, I just wanted to say yeah, and um, John was the only one that wasn't killed. The, no, all, the, all, the, death, yeah. all of the other ones, yeah, were killed. Yeah. And, and tortured killed not just uh, oh, well he got killed yeah. you know it's like a bullet to the head boom no no tortured killed because why they wouldn't do that if what they weren't were telling and saying and spreading wasn't true mm. i mean mm. if you look at the chernobyl uh, i mean you those 14 or 12 directors couldn't keep the secret for two 
weeks. They couldn't keep their lie for two weeks and they started falling apart, turning on each other, telling the lie. You go go read up on that. It's quite an interesting story to read. Um, so Eric is posting, yeah, five fundamental facts. He existed prior to the creation of heaven and earth. Amen. He was born of a virgin. Amen. Shed the blood of atonement of sin. Amen. Rose again on the third day. Amen. And I love the last one, Eric. Come, there's a second coming. That same Jesus yeah. is alive. Yes. And that brings us to the yes. end of the show, guys. I want to thank you, Leon, for dialing in and everybody dialing in tonight. Thank you for participating. Please spread the news. Here's your naked truth. All right. The Bible is the truth, whether you like it or not. The Bible is the inspired word of God from front to end, whether you like it or not. The Bible has been purified seven times over, whether you like it or not. The Bible has got an influence on your life today and the future coming, your future, whether you like it or not. And that is the naked truth. God bless you. Guys, keep well. See you again next week, Thursday night at 8 a.m. Bye-bye.